When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Hello and welcome to On the Farm Picture List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I'm your host, Lamar Gibson. And I'm your host, Jake Mache. And we are joined today by, uh, I think we established writer emeritus for for, for Fisher List. Uh, but we have uh, Alex Chase with us. Um, we're definitely uh, happy to have you uh, joining us today. Uh, Alex, obviously today we're talking about the MLB draft. Thanks for making time for us, Alex. Oh, this has been on my calendar for a long time. So glad to, you know pull my microphone out of the closet and everything and get back to this stuff you know yeah no this is kind of um i've been building this uh internally as like a home and home so last year if you long time listeners remember uh, when it was just me before jake was so gracious to to join us um i guested on uh dugout study hall with alex to talk about last year's mlb draft and kind of do a, a sort of a, a prep a look ahead preview uh, kind of cover all that sort of stuff. So we figured it was only fair to have Alex join us um, and 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 talk about this year's draft. So we're recording this on, and, and I apologize because I had my days and times all jacked up from last week's episode. <laughs> um, so we're recording this on Monday. It is uh, the second day of the draft. The first day, first two rounds were yesterday on Sunday. We are officially in the all-star break. By the time you guys hear this, uh, it'll be post all-star game and home run derby as well. So it'll be sitting right before we start the official second half. Um, but yeah, we're going to, uh, we're, we're talking about the first two rounds of the drafts, uh, specifically, um, before we get into the names and who went number one overall and, and all of our feelings about that, I do want to kind of set our expectations. What, what we are really orienting around is how these draft picks um, how we feel about these draft picks from a fantasy standpoint. So the sort of takes about, you know, draft grades and who made out well and who didn't, that's not really what we're going to be looking at. Uh, you're going to get enough of that from other folks uh, on Pitcher List and I'm sure any other podcast that you may deign to listen to. But we're looking specifically about dynasty um, focus and fantasy focus when it comes to the draft. With all that being said, Alex, I know you did a great job. A, we were just talking about like love a prepared guest. You did a great job preparing. Um, you want to kind of do a look back and kind of talk about that previous draft that you and I were able to preview last year and just kind of recalibrate expectations when it comes to fantasy and dynasty and thinking about um, MOB prospects. So with that being said, I am going to kind of turn things over to you a little bit to just kind of walk us through some of the points that you have up here. Yeah. Um, so for those of y'all who aren't familiar with Dugout Study Hall, uh, rip in peace. I, so <laughs> my background is not mechanics, swing, 
delivery sort of stuff. I heard some great stuff on this broadcast comparing some prospect swing to like Evan Longoria. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm glad someone understands this. My background and value add here is a lot more on the can tell you how to grade productivity uh, in terms of how much that is worth to your team. Uh, and I find a lot of this sort of stuff really interesting from a, I don't know the nuts and bolts, but talking to people who do makes for a fun time. So um, what I really want to make sure I'm here at is kind of like the stand in for a very well-prepared dynasty player who maybe needs to ask a few questions. And I felt like that made the clear and obvious first thing to take a look at, just like a, let's see what we got right and wrong about last year so that when we understand what like a you know, like a 15th overall pick is maybe providing on average a year out in terms of, you know, how easy that player is to move around in different leagues, who you're actually rostering. I want to make sure we get that before, you know, we all start gushing about the one carrying tool that any of these guys happen to have. Um, and, you know, pulling last year's draft back up was very interesting because there was just a whole lot fewer names I was really deeply excited about than I thought I would be. A, a lot of the pop-up guys, you know, they're two or three drafts back at this point, you know? So it's it's been slower going than I'd realized. And I think that's really kind of the point that I want to make sure we could make before we got too far. Um, I have the list up in front of me. I'm sure y'all do as well. Um, I mean, the names at the top of the draft are obvious, um, but... Who else have you guys been pleasantly surprised with outside of, you know, uh, Holiday and like Termar Johnson? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to step on your your other bullet points that you have here, uh, but I think I was I was a fan of Neto just as a kind of ball player. Um, that sounds very like old school, like old timey way of saying it. But I, I just thought he looked like somebody that was a contributor across multiple categories. When we, again, when we think about fantasy, maybe not necessarily, again, a standout. He's going to hit 30 home runs or he's going to steal a ton of bases or anything of that nature. Um, it's interesting. We talk about five tool players and I often categorize guys as like multi category players as well, kind of along the same lines. Um, mm-hmm. Another way to look at it is like, uh, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. And Neto like hit that for me. And especially as a shortstop playing that premium position and playing it very well. uh, He was somebody that I was like, oh, wow. And then, you know, once he hit the actual pros right in the minor leagues, they moved him very quickly. And I was like, oh, is this the angels kind of like, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, angeling? Like, is this them doing too much? Which they, you know, definitely can do. Um, but he he looked really good, and I got a chance to actually watch some games via uh, MILB TV of him um, at high end and double A, and he just he looked comfortable. He looked he did not look like it was too much for him. And boom, you know what do you know? And he's in the majors, and you know providing some value. So Neto is like a person that definitely stands out to me um, as somebody that I kind of just like earmark that guy. Like you know, think about it. Yeah, I feel like you you take a look at him and then you look a lot of the other, you know, college hitters who've been drafted. He kind of feels like the the near term best case scenario in a lot of ways before his oblique injury. He he was looking really good. He, he's a guy I actually uh, traded for 
um, during a first year player draft earlier this spring. I uh, I uh, shipped out Kadai Senga with the fourth pick to get back uh, Neto and uh, Kobe Mayo. Uh, so I've been just ignoring everything that's happened to Senga because mm-hmm. he's not my problem for mm-hmm. better or for worse. I hear he's doing better. I'm just putting the blinders on to yep. not think about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it really does feel like, you know, you take a look at him and being moved through quickly, I feel like isn't kind of the outlayer point. It's been fun to be exposed to that by trying to put him on my aisle, my bench and my lineup and back onto my bench. Um, but there's just been so many fewer players who I feel like have popped in a real significant way some of them have flown under the radar and i checked back in on jet williams because uh, i grew up like 10 miles away from him and i was hoping for the best and he's walking a ton which is great um i'm sure there's a lot of other high school players but these aren't necessarily the guys that are like the really sexy sell high candidates from this spring i feel like are necessarily these first round players i actually i think i sent y'all uh, justin crawford the uh, the phillies uh 17th pick from last year hit his first professional home run last week yeah Ever. My first ever <laughs> pro home run. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to get too into the weeds of all that, but that was mostly just a, you know, there are definitely a lot of opportunities to get carried away. Um, and I want to make sure I hit that. Now, that's not all bad things. Uh, Jacob Mizorowski, I think, tore up the Futures game. He was a um, like a comp round pick last year, a second round pick, something like that. Yeah. Um, I could scroll and look at that again, but I am not going to. Um, now, mind you, he still probably looks like he's 17 years old and hasn't added any weight or anything. So <laughs> there's some risk there, but like, you know, people do surprises later on down the board. So I just wanted to make sure I kind of like took that moment to like reset myself before we got too far. Um, I don't know anyone else y'all have been, um, surprised to be wrong about from last year before we kind of get too far. Or not maybe wrong, wrong part, more just pleasantly surprised by the were or weren't targeting. Whoa. As I kind of take a last scroll at this before we get move on. I, I was going to say, Jake knows that, um, and, and the listeners should know that, like, Mizorowski has been a guy that I've been like, man, he. I, I look back over my FYPD prep, and he was just like, um, the the I picked, I think it was Owen Murphy. I, I've said this a bunch of times, but I'm pretty sure it was like Owen Murphy. I had slotted like right above him. And I like mm-hmm. what Murphy's doing, but I'm like, man, I just if I if I paid him a little bit more attention to the video about Mizorowski, because immediately like after our draft, I was just kind of going back and looking and and I saw a video of Mizorowski and I was like, oh, man, I, I, I may have missed on this. And what he's done since um, by the time this podcast comes out, my um, prospect watch list article will have hit the weekly article. And what I'm doing is a prospect watch list all stars. Uh, so looking at kind of the watch list, all stars of the first half to highlight uh, full, you know, starting nine with honorable mentions. And guess who's going to be my starting pitcher is going to be Jacob Mizorowski, because, I mean, that it, it the window is officially closed. If you did not buy low on Mizorowski after what he did in the Futures game, it's done. <laughs> there is no buying low. There is no cheap get. If you're in any dynasty league and I would say into the shallower leagues as well. He's now put his name, he should have at least put his name in that mix of he needs to be rostered. Um, you know, redraft, yeah, you can wait. He's 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 probably, you know, a year and a half or so away at least. But any sort of dynasty league outside of like something that's super shallow, he's he's the guy. Um, so Mizorowski is the one where I'm like, man, if I just a couple more YouTube, <laughs> you know, views, a couple more video clicks, and um he would have been pushed up. 
uh, way higher, and I would have definitely tried to go after him in my FYPD. So that's that's my guy. Yeah, the other one, the other one that I've been looking at recently, um, I think is on the is getting close to appearing in a. Um, well, I I think that would be jumping the gun, it, it, putting him in a pictures to stash article. But uh, Carson Weisenhunt, um, I think is cl- one of the closer pitchers to the big leagues. Um, that was drafted last year. Um, he's already made it to Double A um, after playing in Low A and High A, also in 2023. Um, and he hasn't had a strikeout rate lower than 32.8, uh, which is what he's carrying currently at Double A in 12 innings. Um, you know, in Double A, the walks have ticked up, uh, but I think it's more of a small sample thing because um, it's a huge, huge jump um, from High A to Double A. So I think that those will kind of creep back down, and he's been he's been fantastic um and he's made his way through levels very very quickly um how old is he so he's he's 22 so next year will be his age 23 season and i think that we could see him next year um pretty easily so i think he'll be he'll be a really cool one to to keep track of this year and then once he gets in triple a now we have you know Statcast and everything so um he's been a quick riser and he's another one that because he was drafted in 66th overall uh last year so um yeah, he's another guy that I've really been liking. Yeah, I pulled up for Mizorowski. Um, he was drafted 63 overall. So, yeah, second round, like you were saying, Alex. Good little run there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not really. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I, I think that's a good uh, a place to, to ground us to, to think about, you know, value, where you can find it, uh, not necessarily being completely enamored by the top five and top 10 guys. And, and obviously, you know, it depends on your league size and where you finish and, and how your FYPD is uh, organized. And we've kind of talked about that in our FYPD uh, uh, episode that we had to kind of kick this season off, but uh, it's still just good to think about it now and do some of that work. Now, I think all three of us were doing some sort of prep work last night um, as we were watching the draft of like, let's organize. I know Jake, you were just, you were like texting me today of like, I just kind of just started doing the top 50 of like, why not? And I was doing the same thing of like, might as well pull up my FYPD sheet, get everything cleared out, start organizing these names. Um, Because again, that, that is how you keep from some of those misses in my opinion. And and I think you guys would agree. That's how you kind of keep some of those misses from potentially happening is if you start having some names top of mind, then you can kind of start to highlight when they actually do start pitching or hitting um, for their minor league affiliates okay, yeah, I remembered I wanted to keep an eye on this guy. And like, you know, even if you want to highlight certain things, like how is this fastball doing or how is this swing going to work out or, you know, whatever the case might be, um, instead of having to wait until it's FYPD time or a month out and you're like, oh, okay, who who do I need to be paying attention to? Okay, how did this person end up? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's, a, that's a, a good place to start. I, I do feel like also, like, heard a lot last night and have heard some around this you know some of the college pitchers who just got you know an insane workload over the past couple of months probably aren't going to be like pitching any games that we're going to be seeing anytime soon so this is as good a time as any to get some of that work and it's not like we're going to get a ton of extra data i feel like that's especially true for the pitching but like i've been looking back on some of these player pages and like, some of these hitters just like a handful of games that show up on fan graphs. So, you know, why not now? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So with that being said, 
uh, we got we got names. We got a lot of stuff we want to talk about. But let's get into top five. We kind of knew what the top five were as far as the the players being drafted here. It was just a matter of order. Who's going to go where? Um, and if there was going to be any sort of surprise, if there was going to be any sort of this guy drops drastically because of you know slot money or whatever the case might be. Um, but it, the the five stayed within the top five order. Obviously, you guys will know by now, Paul Skeens, number one overall out of LSU. Dylan Cruz, out of LSU, number two. First time uh, teammates getting drafted back-to-back as the first two picks of the draft. Uh, I did think we were talking off mic about the negatives of the MOB network or MOB TV broadcast of the draft. I do think one of the major positives was having the LSU head coach, uh, Jay Johnson, Mm -hmm. on, I thought. Um, I, I, again, you guys know college baseball, I'm, I'm still kind of getting my head around it, but, um, I thought he did add some really good insights to not just his guys, cause obviously he, he knows and want to pump them up, but he had some insights into, uh, some other players, uh, Chase Davis, who I'll talk about again, but knowing Chase Davis from their time in Arizona, um, some of the high school guys, cause he could kind of talk about what he saw on the circuit. Um, as he was, you know, recruiting or recruiting their team members or other guys and just having to see them. So loved him being part of broadcast um, with those first two. And then we'll get into the other um, three Skeens Cruz. What, with Skeens going to Pittsburgh, Cruz going to Washington, does that in you guys opinion impact their fantasy stock at all? Just with what we know about their sort of, organization context where we stand right now alex kind of mentioned workload obviously that's a big thing with schemes um or is it like they are so good talent wise it really didn't matter who they went to they could have gone to the moon and it like it wouldn't have mattered yeah we we talked about this a little bit with the nationals specifically before about how they had like guys like harper and strasburg and rendon just kind of like fall into their laps i mean they were drafted but you know it's like you really hard to mess up those guys mm-hmm. and i think that Cruz is definitely in that category of, of player where it's going to be hard to mess them up um, not that the nationals have a fantastic player development program they don't necessarily need it um to get more out of them um so you know i think Cruz is going to be fine there it's not exactly better not exactly worse um and then Skeens as well pittsburgh hasn't been doing great recently with pitching prospects um like luis ortiz I think a lot of people thought he was going to be a lot better. He throws super hard, has a great slider, but like he has, he's a one point like seven seven whip this year. Yeah. Um, Contreras is another one. That Ron, I think yeah, Ronzi Contreras is another yeah. one. Even um, like Quinn Priester, who is young for AAA, mm-hmm. hasn't been able to get it going consistently. Has playing with his pitch mix probably way too much. Um, can't be consistent. Um, you know, they've it's just been kind of like meh uh, mitch keller is like their biggest success story and yeah um, and it took, took how long for him yep. to, to come around <laughs> yeah yeah so it's like you know they haven't been great but it's also paul Skeens. like you know there's there's been some chatter on twitter about how he might have a dead zone fastball and you know an organization might need to like mess with that a little bit but i mean i'm not too concerned um about that so i think for both of them individually i i don't think the teams affect their stock very much but i think when you compare it to um, I don't want to get ahead of the outline here, but I think if when you compare like Skeens' landing to Langford's landing, mm. then I think Skeens' landing makes a bit of a, or not Skeens, I'm sorry, Cruz. Right. The two hitting, two hitters. I I, I love Langford's landing because Texas yeah. is competing and they have a fantastic offense and these hitters are extremely established and they will, 
I'll say that both of them will be in the majors in 2024 at some point, right? And and Langford is going to come into an offense that's top five in the league. And Cruz is going to come into an offense that's Bottom top five. 25. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think that that's going to make a difference kind of off the bat. I think the Rangers um, have had a bit more success on the hitting side um, and building an offense uh, recently. Um, and so I think when it, when you're c- kind of comparing those two, it could make a difference, especially for a team that's maybe trying to be competitive, a dynasty team that's trying to be competitive next year. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of when I, I start to notice a team context a bit more, um, when you're comparing these guys to other guys, but individually, I think, you know, both Pittsburgh and, and Washington are as, as good of landing spots as you'd like for a, a one or a two pick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Alex. I feel like the top five itself was kind of indicative of what I felt was a larger theme of the draft of um, rather than teams picking players because they don't happen to have a guy who is good at that position, you know, like the, the really shallow and not really accurate understanding of like team need. Mm -hmm. I felt like we saw a lot of teams do us fantasy players, a lot of favors um, by picking players that they have either an established track record of being good at developing, you know, a lot of teams were good landing spots for who they grabbed, or if they have just laughable and trash development systems like the Nats, um, as a DC resident, I'm very allowed to say that. Um, (laughs) Then they picked more established players who are likely going to need a little bit less help. Um, I do not trust um, Elijah Green in the Nats hands. Mm. Unfortunately, I, that was a player I was hard avoiding last year. You know, I, I remember a lot of the fun. Who is it? Um, Carter Keyboom. I remember picking him up off the wire in a really shallow redraft league, starting him for his MLB debut when he hit a home run and then dropping him like my life depended on it, you know, shortly thereafter. Yeah. I was, I was looking at, uh, I have to, I have to find it, but I was, I was texting to my league. Somebody, uh, it was not a, it was not a nationalist prospect. But um, one of the draft eligible players um, was comped to Keyboom uh, by Fangraphs and like their write up, and I was just like immediately, I sent it to, I was like immediately, no, he's done, done, <laughs> done. Once you put Keyboom's name in there, is unless you're saying he's not Keyboom, like, <laughs> and, and you know, apologies to the Keyboom family and all that sort of stuff. But like, you know, that that's the thing. And, and Jake, to your point, we have talked about the Nationals um, and, and that sort of like they just fall into that generational talent or there's nothing is like, it's, it's, you know, a superstar and then there's nothing else. Which is kind of funny because they haven't exactly played the middle in the last like 10 years. They've either been horrible with a top five draft pick or they've been like a world series contender. Like nothing's really come out of those drafts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's cover the, the, the rest of the top five. Um, I know we're running long on our intro Stick, stick with us. This is going to be a longer pod, so just buckle up. Stick with us because um, we got a lot we want to talk about. So we got Max Clark going to Detroit. Shocker, high school player. Um, Wyatt Langford uh, going to Texas. Uh, you mentioned that. Uh, Jake, you and I, again, texting each other. We both were like, that's awesome for Langford. Like, that's great. Um, you love to see that. Walker Jenkins going to Minnesota, the third, um, or I'm sorry, the second uh, high school bat there um in that top five and with clark langford jenkins again langford we we kind of already touched on jenkins i'll be honest out of that five jenkins is the one that i 
kind of just don't know that much about. I hadn't watched a lot of video. I hadn't um, read up on him. Um, so I, I guess I'll use him as the jumping off point and open it up to both of you. Like, what is your thoughts with him at Minnesota? They have uh, Brooks Lee, obviously, as being their top draft pick last year. Another guy, Alex, to your early question that I was high on um, coming out of draft, uh, the last year's draft, just because, again, he looked very established, very, like, quick to the majors because he had uh, the skill sets kind of uh, advanced that you would need. So they have a couple of, of choice guys already in the system, but I don't know that they have a great track record, if any, of like developing high school guys. Um, if they do, I'm definitely blanking on probably somebody super obvious. So what do we think about Jenkins with Minnesota? And then we can also talk about Clark and, and continue to go on Linkford as well. So I, I feel like um, with Jenkins, I, his stock was affected by like an injury earlier this year right so um him being like the not so clear number one high school prospect you know a data deficit isn't exactly a new problem to have uh, in the past couple years of the draft so um it makes sense you know like be a lack of film to really understand there and like i feel like uh how old was royce lewis when they drafted him good question let's see if i can figure that out yeah I, yeah, I think it was a handmade bone for uh for Jenkins. That was the answer. Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um I I tend to trust the Twins major league development team on the pitching side and I don't necessarily carry over that same trust to other halves of teams. You know, it's really easy to do that for like the Marlins for example. I'm sure we'll have that conversation later. Uh some teams see like they've really gotten like one or two things figured out. I don't have this picture of the twins as an incompetent franchise though. And I've heard a lot of the, the discussion around Jenkins being very much like a, you know, good makeup gym rat, you know, like all of those tropes, you just list off eight, eight in a row that don't tend to mean anything at some point. But like, I don't have any like personal red flags about that as a landing spot. Um, it, also, they were really lucky to have jumped up to that. Um, right. Yeah. Right. They were, yeah. 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 So, I mean, we can hope for them. That turns out well. Maybe part of the reason we don't like have an extensive track record of them developing big name high school guys is just they have been in that middle of the Nats haven't been in. So they yeah. haven't been picking up those blue chip guys. Yeah. Um, and Lewis is a good call because I, I pulled up uh, baseball reference uh, came out of J. Sarah Catholic High. Um, when he was drafted in 2017, number one overall pick. So there you go. Yeah, he was really the last like successful high school hitter that they had. In the same year, they also um, drafted Brent Rooker, but he was in college. And then the year before that was Alex Kirilov, also out of high school. And then Nick Gordon was out of high school two years earlier. Um, and those are really the only three guys. Um, anytime recently, Buxton was also in high school, but that was way back in 2012. Um, right. Right, so right. yeah, a few guys, but like n- no one that's really kind of reached like all-star level yet, right. you know? Right. Um, um, and yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that. It's, it's so funny because I, 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 I had a feeling that Buxton was at high school. I should have just known that. Um, but yeah, like those names that you mentioned are all guys that we had heard about for some time of like, they're going to be, they're, they're going to be part of the wave. Now, obviously injuries has played a part of that with pretty much all of them. Um, but even that mm-hmm. starts to be like it's kind of odd that all of your top guys are all like getting injured um, 
and they're all prep bats. Maybe that's there is no actual correlation there. Maybe it's all coincidental. Um, but yeah, after a while, it, it it at least mimics a pattern, if even if it is not an actual pattern. Um, Max Clark, Tigers, another it. prep, an, another prep signing. You, you say you hate it. <laughs> I, I hate it for Clark. Uh, okay. But I actually, if if if, it, if listeners would remember, I predicted it on this podcast last week. Listen, uh, Jake was killing it with the with the prediction game, and uh, he was like, "This is what's going to happen." Skeens number one. I was like, "Nah, I think Langford Cruz." Boom, Skeens gets it. He calls Cruz. Then he's like, "Clark is going to be number three. And I was like, "Really?" Boom. He Jake is on it. Did you buy that lottery ticket, Jake? Because I just want oh. like a little piece. I just want a little piece. <laughs> oh man, no, I didn't. I didn't. I think it might have worn off by now. Um, <laughs> But man, it was I because even after I even after saying that, I was like, man, I still feel like I feel like they're going to go with Langford because he's just like the best, like the best player. Like he's just so good. Um, And they did. They went cheap. You know, they they saved some money. They went with Clark. Texas got Langford. Fantastic for everyone involved. Um, And then Jenkins at five. So uh, but but as far as what with Clark going to the Tigers, he goes to a horrible ballpark with a horrible development program. And it's just, it's really hard to get excited about Tigers prospects, um, specifically hitting prospects pitching. It hasn't been as bad. I think they've been really unlucky because of injury um, for a lot of their young guys. Um, And I mean, at at some point maybe it's not luck, but that's a whole other conversation. And um, you know, I think for hitters, it's just like so hard to overcome the, uh, the, the ballpark first off. And then you just don't have, I, I don't think the the kind of the backing and support and in, in player development on the hitting side either. So it's it's really tough. Um, like we've seen like Jace Young. Um, I'm not super excited about him, even though I was going up to the draft last year. Um, and he hasn't exactly like taken huge steps forward. And, um, you know, Colt Keith has been great this year and I'm excited for him, but I'm still kind of tempering my expectations because of, you know, the ballpark. And we've seen Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson mm-hmm. like, come up and struggle and Riley green has, has not exactly like, and I mean, honestly, both of them, they've hit the ball. Well, they make solid quality of contact, um, good barrel rates and all that stuff. And it's just so hard to capitalize when you're playing so many games at Comerica, even after they, they uh, moved in the fences. So I think it's, it's a real tough draw for Max Clark, um, who, the guy, the guys on ESPN were saying that if he was drafted last year, he would have been right up there with Jones and holiday. And, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I can see it. It's hard to compare the, them all when they're not in the same class. Um, and yeah, and as far as like Clark versus Jenkins, and, and uh, Clark has a little less power. Um, Jenkins has, you know, a bit more power. He's a bit less like fast, less athletic. I think he'll mm-hmm. probably settle into corner outfield where Clark could, I think, keep center field. And mm-hmm. especially the Tigers have a big center field. I think that he's more of like the kind of the faster, more athletic guy, a bit better hit tool. Um, and so, and that also kind of plays against him again. Like if he was maybe the big power high school guy, then maybe he could like, if you have big enough power, you could play at Comerica, but like, it's just, it's just going to be hard for him to get to, to get to run production. You know, I, I do wonder with the new, uh, I have no idea who the new GM is. I'm not going to pretend I do and Google it all of a sudden, but I do know that, you know, between that and you could think that with, uh, Hinch's continued, uh, attempt to consolidate all possible power in the actual major league team it's, it's been funny how they've been moving people around and he keeps seeming like he's more powerful than the average manager anyways i do wonder 
if the long track record of not doing things quite right in Detroit could right itself. I mean, that's all speculation and like hopes. Uh, I, I have a team where I start both Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson. So yeah, uh, it's been fun this year. Uh, Comerica is a war crime, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. But, yeah. You know, yeah. So it is what it is. Uh, I, I got you on, on Google today. No, normally I'm terrible at this, but I'm, I'm quick today. Uh, so Scott Harris uh, came over from the Giants to serve as GM now for the Tigers, or I'm sorry, technically he's president of baseball operations for the Tigers. Get his title right. Formerly GM for the Giants. Um, and it's funny you guys both mentioning mentioning Clark in um Riley Green as well, because that's exactly who I was thinking about. It's like if Riley Green, and when we think about how hyped he was and how really athletic that I mean, it, it was very similar as far as like lefty stroke um with power but also with some some decent contact maybe not great but some decent contact good power very athletic should be able to, to remain in center um field has some good speed on the base uh, base path uh and we just again multi-category contributor right like a guy that was going to be able to give you a little bit of everything and seeing the struggles that he's had obviously he had uh, injury that kind of set his um debut in in, in uh, uh pro career back a, a bit um, from when we thought we were going to see him, but still just seeing the struggles that he's had and then thinking about Clark and just trying to figure out, okay, what's going to be different for Clark than it was, or has been so far for green specifically. Um, and I don't know that there is anything. Um, maybe there is, I just, I don't know what that would be. So I'm, I in agreement with the two of you, uh, if I had a top pick and I, the way my team has, has devolved recently I, it, that could end up happening but if i had a top pick in uh fypd um for dynasty clark is probably one of the guys that i'm like almost immediately like pushing down my list the other four i can probably still consider being in you know a top four top five in um fypd especially based on now obviously if there's games played and we see some, you know, some data that can change things. But Clark is probably the one where I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I'm taking him in the top five. Right. I don't know if I'm taking him in, in the top seven. Like he yeah. might be top 10, but mm-hmm. like, I, you know, I, I just, everything that you guys touched on the development, the park. Um, I, I'm not a big subscriber to like the intangible stuff um, because I know that, that can get tinged with all sorts of weirdness and bias. But there was like some of like attitudinal things that were coming out of like his demeanor, his sort of persona. And again, how much of that was like the smoke that happens before a draft, how much that is, you know, certain people's bias against, you know, young guy who just, you know, wears it on the sleeve. I don't know, but um, you know, are the tigers the type of org that if that is an issue, are they the type of org where, it can smooth that out or does it remain an issue? So, um, yeah, Max Clark, not super ideal, um, as far as a landing spot, but we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, that's enough preamble. I think let's take a break. We're already deep into conversation here. Let's take a break, pay bills, come back, and then really get into the, the heart of the matter here with the MLB draft right after this. Fads come and go. And nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. 
That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, so we are back. Um, let's uh let's dig into you know what we came here to do. I guess the there is one little one little part that's that's hanging from our previous discussion. And uh Jake, I saw you put together a, a sort of personal top five that you have for FYPDs. So I mirrored that and just put together what I thought a quick, you know, top five where my brain is in, in my prep. Alex if you want to chip in, feel free. If not, no problem. Uh, we're kind of going off the cuff here, but Jake, you want to reveal, I don't know. Do you want to reveal your personal top five? You know, I know your league listens. I know you got a lot of followers, you got a lot of draw, a lot of pull. So I don't know if you yeah. want to give out all your secrets right now. Well, see, it wouldn't matter if I had the number one pick, right? If I just have like a horrible team. <laughs> um, no, I, well, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say what my top five is. Um, it's I, I'm looking at Wyatt Langford at, at number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think what's drawing me to him over Cruz is um, a little bit, definitely a little bit of the team context. And then also I think just like the little bit of extra power. Um, he doesn't, uh, you know, Le- uh, Cruz has an incredible hit tool. He can take the ball to all fields, sprays line drives, and that's fantastic. But I think that Langford being able to just kind of like rear back and, and hit bombs when he needs to is, um, super valuable and might lead to more run creation sooner with the better offense. And if I'm looking at a team that I want to compete next year, I think I'd rather have him, but it's definitely one, a one B like, I, I can't fault anyone for going with Cruz. Um, if I had a different, if a certain team situation, I, I might go with Cruz myself, but, um, if I'm looking to like get power and get, um, more impact sooner, I think I would go with Langford, um, but it's Langford, then Cruz, uh, then Skeens. Uh, Skeens at three, just because like it's he's a pitcher, and he can be one of the best guys that we've seen, you know, since Garrett Cole, since Steven Strasburg, and it would suck to lose out on that. But I think it's a bit more of a surefire thing to grab one of those two hitters. Um, but it'd be a hell of a lot of fun to watch Skeens. You know, like can't knock that at all. Um, and then I have Walter Jenkins at four. Um, it's kind of like an upside play if you're a little further away from competing. Um, the Twins are a solid landing spot. Um, the ballpark isn't like crazy in one direction or the other. The organization seems good. They've taken huge steps forward in pitching development specifically. I know there's not super help here, but at least as an organization, they're they're getting better overall. And um, you know, I, I think I, I trust them well enough. So I do like Jenkins. Um, and I, and I also like the Jenkins does have. Um, 
some of the best power of, of the high school prospects. So he's at four for me. And then five is essentially a toss up with between Noble Meyer and Tommy Troy out of Stanford and um, Noble Meyer. I, I'll let you talk about him a little bit later, Lamar, because I know that you've been excited about him. Um, and then Tommy Troy has just been um, just a, a pure great hitter for Stanford every year he's been there. So that's my top five. Um, and it's, yeah, there's a lot of like, there's so much talent at the top of this draft that you can't really go wrong. You know, a lot of his team context who at the end of the day, we're baseball fans. Like, who do you want to watch? Like what's going to work for, for you? So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty on point. I have one major difference, a differentiator, I should say, um, as far as my top five, uh, and, and it might be a reach. It's just, uh, it's how I feel. Um, but I have, I have Cruz over Langford, but like you said, it's one, a one B, um, my justification there is just, I think Cruz is the, the term generational talent kept getting thrown out like over and over again with him and, and schemes. And I think to, to try to put a definition on what I think of when I hear that term is Cruz's, uh, ability right now, like who he is right now as a hitter is such that. I can see all of the sort of accolades, all of the awards, all the things that you would want from a fantasy standpoint, as far as like the value, the, if I put this guy on the block, I can, I can remake the face of my team because he he's that sort of talent. He's bringing that sort of value. Um, I'm not throwing out anybody's names as comps, but you guys know the players that are like that right now in major leagues. I think he can get there and get there in a very short amount of time. Um, Langford, we talked to, we, we've been talking at nauseum. The, the run environment of Texas, what they're doing right now, is a major boon for him. I think uh, for Cruz, his ability to steal bases, which is, I think, an underrated skill, um, as well as his uh, plate discipline, which I think will be, especially in the, the early years, a big plus if you're in an OBP league because he doesn't have anybody around him. So I think teams are going to be like, why exactly are we going to pitch to the one guy that's kind of dangerous in this lineup when we've been, uh, you know, go after these other uh, less talented uh, individuals in the lineup. So I think because he can work a walk um, and I think he will show the ability to continue to work walk. I don't think he'll get outside of his own um, in those early years. I can foresee uh, the fact that, you know, Cruz, especially like I say, in the OBP league, can can add value. Uh, Alex, I know you want to get in on this too. I, uh, you know, the more I think about it, I'm I'm a little bit skeptical of the the Nats versus the Rangers run environment and pushing them forward is as defined as you guys are suggesting. Okay, though I think that the what you're saying about Cruz is definitely going to see um, not that many really good pitches early on. It makes sense. Uh, I, I would just note some of those really nasty um, bad luck Patrick Corbin Strasburg uh, contracts are going to be off the books in uh, Washington sooner rather than later. And uh, they have demonstrated a willingness to try to spend some money. If they sell and they sell to someone who doesn't care, you're 100% correct. But uh, it would not be surprising to see the Nationals do a baby version of the go after some big pieces to get things turned around quickly that would make it so that there's at least someone else yeah. at the top of that lineup. So so going off of what you're saying, a, a way, not saying this is exactly what's going to happen, but a way to look at this is they could potentially, and, and it's important that you 
uh, brought up the fact that they are essentially up for sale, right? So we still have to see how that gets determined, but they could potentially pull what the Rangers did a couple years ago, right? And say, mm-hmm. we're just going to splash a bunch of money. We're going to get two of the top five, you know, free agents that's on the market. We're going to bring them in and just kind of like them plus a rookie because they had Josh Young, who we've talked about in previous episodes. He was pretty much earmarked for, you know, third base uh, before he got injured. You know, boom, boom. And then that's just going to, we're just going to get up and go, right? Like that's just going to jumpstart us. And then we're going to kind of put together everything else as we go along. They stumbled into uh, Adelise uh, Garcia uh, being a phenom. So that helped a ton. And it was just like, and now we look, you know, I think they're a year later than what maybe they anticipated because I think they thought last year they were going to be able to just jump into the sort of uh, contention window. And, and obviously it took a little bit longer. But, you know, they grabbed John Gray. That's another, you know, pickup. Evaldi is another pickup. So I think that's actually a very interesting point that you're making, Alex, is if the Nationals do something like that with, you know, whoever the ownership group is and say, well, we got, again, generational talent with Cruz. We got these contracts coming off the book. Let's just look at who the top, you know, three top five guys are and just boom, boom, boom. We're dealing it out. Um, may not may not look good again in another 10 years as we've seen but up front it could provide uh, a run environment that does kind of even things out when we think about it from a fantasy standpoint so that's actually that's a really that's a really fascinating thought i appreciate you bringing that up you know if you look at their outfield what it could be i mean that's Mm. super exciting elijah green james wood and Mm. uh, dylan cruz Um, and then you also have they have two really young low 20s guys in the middle infield right now and cj abrams and luis garcia um you know they have mackenzie gore who has looked a lot better this year who's kind of been under the radar because his ratios haven't quite reflected it but his strikeout rate's been fantastic um i think he's con- gonna continue to improve um so you know the team could definitely get better and i, I kind of forgot honestly about the nats willingness to spend money um because it's it's been a minute and it's like I said, the Nats are very all or nothing, you know, <laughs> the, they were so bad for so long and then they were fantastic for four years and now they're back to being horrible, you know? So uh, w- if they do get back to that point where they're all in, it, it could definitely make a change really quickly that I think that we weren't quite uh, reflecting there. So that was, that's good. Yeah. So we've talked ourselves in on being in on the nationals. Now we've done a complete 180. No, no, no. Um, oh, I, uh, I, w- I was actually there this weekend. I caught um, oddly topical uh, Rangers at Nats this weekend. Um, and the I was there for the Sunday game. The Nats won by like six runs. It was really unexpected. Um, and it, the park is just very, very empty. Um, I've been to an Orioles game the week before that and a Yankees game the week before that. No, it's just shocking how barren. Um, even like the lower sections were. So uh, yeah, they're going to need to be competitive to make some money in that park because uh, fans do not turn up in Washington unless a team is good because, you know, who is raised a Washington Nationals yeah. fan? Yeah. So I, I think they have incentive to try and soon. Yeah. yeah. Um, th- just to finish up, I have Skeens number three. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge Skeens fan, and I say that because uh, not anything against the uh, repertoire. Obviously, nothing against the performance. The, the numbers are the numbers. It's just you're talking about a guy that was pitching 100 plus, um, you know, pitches at a high uh, high velocity and at a very intense level, right in the College World Series, like multiple times. And I just can't help but think 
all pretty much all the pitchers now are going to get injured at some point in time. It's just like you can just book it. But I just can't help but to see like that ending up very poorly over a shorter amount of time and sooner for schemes than not. Obviously, not wish anything ill upon him, but just I don't know how you can throw. What do you have like a hundred thirty pitch outing and in like the semifinals or something like that? Like the, the and and I mean you know LSU did what LSU was supposed to do. They are using their best pitcher to win the game. That's that's what they're responsible for primarily. Uh, they're not responsible for making sure he's healthy as he goes into the major leagues. That's not their problem, right? Once he declares for the draft and gets drafted, he's somebody else's deal. Um, you know, once he signs. So, uh, yeah, that just it just worries me, right? You think about all the other stuff we think about with pitchers, and uh, I've gone on record before, like, I'm not a huge 10-step guy, and I think that can get very overdone. Um, but these are the moments where I'm like, ah, <laughs> they kind of wanted something here. Uh, it just it scares me. But talent-wise, if I had the number three pick in a FYPD, it would be difficult for me not to just take schemes just from a value standpoint, just from what he brings to the table. Um, my the the differentiator, the one that I have that's that's probably going to look like a reach, um, or is going to look like a reach, is uh, Chase Davis. I, I I I I'm in love with this kid. I'm. This is where me and Harold Reynolds is probably the closest that we'll ever be in agreement on something is the kid's swing does look phenomenal. Yes. Even with the cargo, like that, that stuff, the Carlos Gonzalez uh, comps and all that. Like, okay, cool. That's nice. Cool. But just looking beyond that, I am gone on record. I'm a sucker for tools, the outfielders. I always have been. Davis fits that to a, to a T. I like the fact that he was able to show vast improvement from a down year uh, last year and really turned some things around, especially from a hit tool uh, perspective. We knew about the power. Now the hit tool really came around for him. Um, I like seeing that, not just from a production standpoint, but I like seeing that somebody can go through that process of improvement um, in a short amount of time. Uh, I think he can stick in center field. Uh, the only thing he can't really do that I had, or at least I haven't really heard about it, is he's not really a base stealing threat, but uh, everything else is I love to sign up for a guy like that. I, I really do. Um, and then I have, I, I'm with you. I have Noble Meyer and Tommy Troy uh, as like 5A, 5B. Uh, Tommy Troy is just, he, again, he's in that like Brooks Lee, Zach Neto, just, he just all around, sprays the ball around, can hit middle infielder, probably going to be more second baseman than shortstop, it seems like, but still, um, he's going to fit in. I would expect him to do very well, probably get a high assignment. Um, to start his pro career because I don't see why you would put him in low A with what he's done. So I, I could see like maybe they splash, you know, get his feet really wet with like a couple games at low A and it's just like go at high A and then take it from there. Uh, and then Noble Meyer, just, he just popped up on me. I was not paying attention. I typically do not care about high school pitchers. Like if you're talking about a group of players that I could care less about as a whole, it's high school pitchers. But this kid looks like he looks the part. Um, the arm action is really what sold me S- to be, you know, what is he? Six, four, six, five. He just looks very loose on the mound. I know we're going to kind of get into him later, so I don't want to go too deep, but just looks very loose. I love the delivery, very repeatable. And I love the stuff. So that's my, that's my five there. Um, 
Alex, like I said, if, if you have a five, feel free to pitch it. If you just want to kind of comment, um, go ahead as well. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of the where you shuffle those guys is one going to get determined by that one or two stupid league mates of yours who are poorly managing their teams, and that's why they have these picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunate, but realistic to say. So you know. If you have the sixth pick or the seventh pick in an FYPD, you know you're you're in the middle of the pack because you can kind of see the writings on the wall and you need to sell. Like, I imagine one of these guys might slip. It's not inconceivable. This weird stuff happens. Like the real value play often can come from realizing that you don't actually trust. Um, you know, being in a position where you you know feel like you might need to be picking up um, like Walker Jenkins or Max Clark, even though they're going to ha- be good value, and then trading back picking up a Tommy Troy and also another piece. I, I I love those sorts of trades at every position in these things where you know that your, your win condition in your league is more about knowing more about the somewhat polished college hitters who are not the tools to dream on pieces so much as they are the guys who are going to end up being long time, comfortably above average extra pieces that you know maybe they become more but the chance of them just being a total nothing and keeping you you know from ever like getting out of that middle you know, is like comfortable so like I, I like to go after the zach ditto types i i know that that is the sort of player that i end up targeting in these sorts of drafts there's a reason he ended up on my team so i can see myself ending up with it's funny actually like the the college hitters are like pac-12 guys and i know the pac-12 does not have a great rep but like Tommy Troy and um, I'm Chase Davis. Like they're both Pac-12 guys, mm-hmm. and yet I have some like trust for what they've done over the past couple of years. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if they end up in any, on any of my teams. Um. So with that, uh, I we we talked about the top five uh, as it was drafted and kind of our sort of personal top five as it looks right now. Let's jump into kind of what you were mentioning uh, Alex that six to ten that that sort of second tier um but definitely some some names to know so Troy is on here Chase Davis is on here we can get back to them Noble Myers on here let's uh start with catcher Kyle Teal and this may have been like one of the biggest surprises and 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 we'll get into surprises and reaches a little bit later but Teal falling to 14th uh and going to the Red Sox I think, uh, you know, catching is always kind of, it's a difficult balance there because we know obviously just the overall wear and tear uh, on on guys tends to affect them from an offensive standpoint. At the same time, what we're seeing come uh, as far as the structure of the game, right? We're anticipating automatic ball and strikes coming sooner, much sooner than later. That changes the game. Now we've, we've gone back with more base dealing. So now where arm strength, I think over the last five to seven years, we're kind of able to downplay that a little bit more. And it was more about pitch framing, how you call a game. Now we do need some guys that have a cannon back there because we got base dealers running rampant uh, more. Uh, And then just overall, just thinking about um, how teams manage these catchers now where they understand this guy, and, and I did hear this in the broadcast, and I, one of the other few things I agree with, like you just know that you're not you're not going to have a catcher that's playing 140 games. Like that's just not a thing anymore. We're not even going to try to make it a thing. We're fine with splitting with a second catcher. We're fine with 
the Asianist guy, put him at first base, moving him around even if he's athletic enough. Um, Teal seems like he might be in that sort of zone where, you know, uh, almost like a Harry Ford, right? Where it's, he could possibly end up at another spot, right? He could be, if we go, uh, you know, way, well, somewhat way back, you know, Craig Biggio style of like, he started as a catcher, but really he ends up, you know, playing this other position for most of his career. Um, with Teal going to the Red Sox, do we like that fit organizationally? Do we think that he is going to be maybe moved off of catcher or or some timeshare at another position alongside catcher to keep his bat fresh? Like Teal is an interesting just sort of like player profile. So I'll just kind of open it up to the floor there. Yeah, Teal is, you know, I think it's, you know, a solid fit with Boston. Um, I, you know, I don't think they really have a, a catcher that they consider like the catcher of the future right now. Um, but then again, even though he's a college catcher, it's still going to take him a while to like get to the big leagues. Uh, you know, as catchers just like take longer to develop in general. Um, so he's definitely going to be behind, you know, some of the other college hitters who were drafted in this range. Um, and so it's, you know, kind of hard to look at their roster now and, and say where he fits in. Um, but he has a lefty who's going to hit at Fenway, which kind of stinks because it's just so, so deep out in right field. Um, you know, we've seen what it's done to power for like Alex Verdugo. Um, and I think that Alex Verdugo's power is probably pretty similar to where Teal projects right now. So um, it's going to be hard to be a kind of like average to slightly above average power guy in, in that ballpark. Um, but I mean, other than that, like the Red Sox are usually pretty competitive. They'll spend money. Um, they have a good offense pretty much year in, year out. It's great this year. Um, so he should have, you know, good guys around him. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, fantastic at Virginia starter for the last three years, um, took a bit of a step forward in, in power this year and was a middle of the order bat for them all year. Um, he's always been great in, um, uh, taking, you know, drawing walks His on base percentage has always been over 400 in each of his, each of his three seasons, but where he took a step forward is, you know, then pairing it with quality of contact and more base hits, more extra base hits. Um, and just really turning into a middle of the order bat for them. So, um, you know, I like the steps forward that he's taken and, um, I was definitely shocked to see him, you know, last down to 14. Um, but then again, I would probably have him ranked at about that spot for FYPDs. I think I have him 12th right now. So, um, I think he's solid. And, you know, if you are in a deep league that maybe rosters two catchers or you really don't have any catcher prospects and you want one, he's a solid option if you have kind of like a, a later first round uh, pick. I feel like watching catchers go so early in the real draft and caring about catchers so much in real life, I'm a big catcher guy as stuff goes. Um, it, it really does kind of solidify this growing opinion I have that Dynasty needs to be two catcher. Um, just because otherwise like really fascinating prospects just get devalued. If you're in a, I don't know how deep your regular crowd is. If you're in a 12 team, one catcher dynasty, you just don't need to care about those guys. Yep. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a really it's good point. It really does. It's, it's interesting that you make that point uh, about two catchers because I've started doing that with my home league, which is a 20 teamer. So it is a bit deeper to begin with, but, most of the teams don't they they typically go with one catcher um they tend to have you know pretty you know you got the alleys out there and, and the like 
And so what I've done is, and this may be to my detriment, that's fair enough, but um, I've tried to kind of cobble a decent catcher over, you know, the span of having two catchers that can kind of do two sort of different things. So uh, there was a time where I had like Carson Kelly and Max Stacy, um, and then Stacy got, uh, no, well, they both ended up getting hurt, uh, kind of derailed Kelly's, you know, run that he was having with the Diamondbacks. Um, so I was trying to do that. Now I was able to, uh, going into this year, I grabbed Jonah Heim sometime in the middle of last year. So that's turned out to be pretty decent for me. And then I made a very stupid trade for Shay Lingleers last year, but that's been okay for me. Um, I say that to say, when you think about two catchers, uh, the other name that comes to mind is what we're seeing from Patrick Bailey, because Patrick Bailey was a guy and I think he's a perfect illustration of your point that it was like, well, they already have a starting catcher. Bart's supposed to be the guy of the future. I don't even know why they drafted, you know, Patrick Bailey. Nobody really paid attention. And now it was like, it's been, you know, throughout June, especially a flood on trying to get in on Patrick Bailey, because now he's showing that skill set. And if you pay a little bit more of that attention to all catchers, um, and whether you rostered him um, or not, that would have been beneficial. You would have been on him sooner uh, without having to pay any sort of premium. So, yeah, I think, you know, in a in a shallow league, you were talking about like a 12-teamer. Yeah, I could still see you like getting away with that, right? Because there's just enough talent, hitting talent, that you can make up that those points or, or categories elsewhere. But, yeah, you start getting into like 15, 16-teamers or, or higher it becomes an interesting conversation, right? I think you can make the argument both ways that carrying two catchers, you're not maximizing another spot because that's a potential, you know, other starter. And those leagues almost always need pitching. Um, that's a potential reliever that you you may be missing out on or just a general bat. But I think Alex, to your point, I, I'm in agreement because this is what I'm doing. You can, um you can find some guys and find some young guys cheap. Um, by by you know uh implementing a two catcher uh roster construction i i definitely have noticed that uh, a good number of like the the big industry sort of ranks that like the quality ones you'll find like uh like james anderson's like rotowire ranks are two catcher ranks so when you go and look up and see uh you know how valuable is sal perez right now it's maybe not reflective of the league you're playing in so uh you know i always try to make sure I am rostering like a top five catcher uh, because I know that the gap between the top top and the, the like the scrubs is gigantic mm-hmm. in terms of like actually winning your leagues. Like my like yes or no litmus test for whether I take someone seriously, seriously as a fantasy analyst is like how they value catcher in their graphs. Uh, it, it's kind of weird, but like, you know, like the, ah, oh, they all suck. Just get one of the guys to the end is that's definitely a trap for losing. Uh, so you don't want to be there by design, but it's really hard to value a guy like Kyle Teal if you're in a 12 single. No, a note on someone like him that I think is really important. You brought up that he's a lefty. Yes, right field at Fenway sucks. But if you are a lefty hitting catcher, um, your chances of actually getting those DH appearances is way higher because then you might actually have a chance of you know, hitting more of those right-handed pitching appearances, mm-hmm. you're way more likely to at least get like the lion's share of your 
uh, of your team's PA. So uh, just like, you know, like lefty hitting shortstops are really rare. And when you get one who can like actually like, you know, be something beyond just his defense and have that platoon advantage, you know, it, it's a big deal. Um, you know, it's not like he's going to get platooned, platooned. It's just like when he's batting, his chances of like, having a good batting average keeping that obp up or much higher so i think that's why i was really excited about him as a, a guy to grab uh, even though the park fit is a little bit rough uh, i don't know maybe he becomes a uh pesky pulse specialist yeah. somehow that'd be really funny yeah um uh, on that note you know if we really want to get galaxy brain kind of on this uh right field in finway not ideal right field at camden pretty good right field at Yankee Stadium, also pretty good. You get to play in those ballparks, not necessarily 81 games, but you do get to play a decent amount. Um, and maybe that's where you make up the value, right? Is That's the one thing that we know uh, Oris Park specifically is playing out. Uh, Rushman is doing a great job. Cedric Mullins is doing a great job of peppering uh, right center and Utah Street, uh, you know, with with home runs um, where, we know, left, left field is now – um, shifted dramatically for the right-handed hitters. And then we know about Yankee Stadium and the short porch there. So maybe that's another way that Teal can, uh, can maximize um, value is maybe he's a road warrior. <laughs> it's like Fenway, ah. But on the road, uh, you know, he, he, he's doing some great things in those two ballparks especially. Um, so that's that's the, that's the interesting uh, thought process there. Um Continuing on with with that sort of second tier of stars, um, before we get into some names that we already mentioned, uh, Arjun Namala. Let's talk about um, Arjun. Got picked 20th overall by the Blue Jays. Um, Arjun shortstop coming out of high school, uh, Strawberry Crest in Florida. And he's a guy that definitely has a projectionable body, right? He's, he's you know, pretty decent uh, height. Definitely is thin, you know, is a wiry guy, but looks athletic, can definitely, you know, uh, uh, have a frame to put on uh, additional muscle there. I think his swing from what I was seeing, uh, and I did not do a lot of um, uh, discovery on him uh, up until the draft, but the swing that I was seeing looks very fluid, uh, looked, you know, really easy. I don't know that's necessarily optimized for power, but... um, you know, with the Blue Jays, I don't really, again, that's another team that I don't really know how to track their record when it comes to development, right? They, we know about their, their three, you know, sons of, uh, and, and again, that, that, you know, how much of that is like almost genetics, right? <laughs> that, that, that worked out to be, um, but elsewhere, I don't really know, you know, that you can put their finger on being successful or not successful, really. Um, they're kind of middle of the pack. So, is Namala somebody, I think right now I have him, I have him high. I have him right behind Tommy Troy. I have Namala at number seven, but I think that that probably is going to move down. This is not a completed sheet that I'm, that I'm working off here. I was literally just kind of grabbing and moving names around. Do we, yeah, do we wait on Namala? Right. Is, is, is mm-hmm. thinking about some of the other guys, uh, especially at shorter or sort of middle, middle-ish infield, Jacob Gonzalez, Matt Shaw, um, Braden Taylor is more third baseman, but you know we talked about Tommy Troy already. Are we better off kind of going with those guys and letting Namala kind of fall down the ranks a little bit, or is he somebody that really has some interest to you? 
No, I think uh, I'm definitely interested in Namala higher than where he was actually drafted. Um, I have him at nine right now, um, again, behind Troy and behind Matt Shaw. But those are the only two shortstop middle infield types that are ahead of him for me. Um, I like him better than Jacob Gonzalez, than um, Jacob Wilson even. Um, and, and he's someone, there's, there's been a very wide, I think, spread of opinions on him. A lot of people have gone, oh, he could be boom or bust. He could be like, the sky is the literal limit for him. Uh, some people say he has like fantastic raw power. Um, you know, when he has a good frame that he can build out a little bit. So I think there's a, there's a lot of kind of like different aspects, different angles that go into his profile right now. And so, and he's also extremely young. Um, I believe he's still 16, um, about to be 17. 17. Yeah. Okay. He's, he is 17, but, um, I mean, it's, I mean, that's That's crazy for, for a, a draft eligible high schooler. So, um, so yeah, he's, there's a lot of different possible outcomes, but I think he's definitely one that I'm willing to take a chance on. I think he's more exciting to me than, um, than like the, the white Sox pick, uh, I think it was Jacob Gonzalez. Right. Um, yeah, I think I would rather take a yeah. chance on, on the Mala. Uh, before I get to you, Alex, because I know you want to chime in on this, but take us through that, Jake. Like, what what stands out about Namala based on what you're seeing now or, or reading about now versus a guy like Jake, uh, Jacob Gonzalez? Because I think I agree, and, and you and I talked about Gonzalez. Like, Gonzalez not a super sexy player profile, but with how he's produced in college, he just seems again. We've been talking about kind of like rock solid guys, guys that look. Like they can be productive at the major league level, even if they're not superstars. He right. looks to be of that ilk. Namala, so many different question marks, so many different ways. You talked about how young he is, like could be sort of anything. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, is it just that the ceiling is what you're chasing there over Gonzalez having a much lower ceiling, or is there something like more mechanical or more kind of tangible right. that you're seeing from one than the other? Yeah, I think what creates the ceiling is important because when um, we look at what actually creates stats for fantasy teams, and especially for what you're trying to get in young players, it's it's power and speed. Um, those are all those are like the biggest tools that you know everyone talks. It's the players that get twenty twenty seasons um, that can get to that point, and you know they're going to score a bunch of runs, they're going to steal a bunch of bases, they're going to hit homers. It's you know it's it, it's kind of the whole package that you look for in, in young players. And, you know, the kind of the good baseball players that are good hit tools, but not necessarily like is super fast or have loud, uh, loud you know, makes loud contact. Um, those are, are definitely valuable for MLB clubs, especially when you look at like defensive prowess. Um, but it's not often as exciting for fantasy baseball players. Right. Um, especially for young players, you can you can get your kind of your your plate appearances uh to accrue with maybe some older players, some less exciting players. But I think usually it's like, let me get the, my stolen bases, my homers, um, the most upside for my young guys. And I think that's kind of what a lot of people are looking for in FYPDs. And I think Namala gives both like a lot better potential in power. Um, doesn't project right now as someone who can steal a ton of bases, but, um, you know, he's young and athletic. And I think that he could be, a um, an efficient base dealer. Um, if he, you know, gets to that point. So, but I think it's, it's the power um, on top of the hit tool that I think is comparable to um, Gonzalez as well. So I, I think there's just, yeah, it's, it's the upside. Um, it's the way that, that he's built right now where Jacob Gonzalez, we've seen him, you know, in college 
and he's solid, but nothing really kind of like jumps out at you is like that he could develop something that's like a difference maker in in like a key fantasy category, right? He's just going to be like a, probably an everyday guy that's, you know, maybe a bench guy that's like going to produce pretty consistently, but like it's hard to see him take huge steps forward. Um, and I think that's kind of where the di- big difference is. Gotcha. Alice, go ahead and jump in. The one flag I have for Namala, other than him just being a really cool story that like I do feel like people are going to like know his name and maybe his stock gets slightly inflated just because he's a cool story. We'll see. Um, I've heard his defense seems like among the better bets to stick at short, um, which if that's the case, that means that even if he's like figuring it out, you know, he's a he's a righty. Um, Gonzalez is a lefty. So like, again, always... I always do like to see guys who are going to have like the majority, like strong side beneficial platoon splits. Namala at least would be able to have the benefit of just playing every day. So if you're in a really deep league, you know, like more than 15 teams, those sorts of players where you're very unlikely to end up getting shifted to second and then platooned, that makes a huge difference in terms of just the counting stats continuing to accrue and not having to play any of those games. If you're in a daily league, you know, not having to worry as much about matchups in, you know, the weekly and half weekly leagues. It, I do feel like, yes, he's like not even 18. There's a lot of risk, but like the type of player that he like on average projects to be is the player that I feel like if I'm in those very deep leagues and also I need to be taking a risk, he feels like a nice like player type to bet on. But what the risk there, I think more than anything else is like the strikeouts I've heard are, have been a bit high um, during this, during the spring. Yeah. I think, um, I think that, I think in general, like with most high school players of, of that sort of like second tier, right. So not the, not the guys that we named before, right. The Clarks and the Jenkins and thinking about last year with Jones and holiday, et cetera, like really exceptional um, hit tools and really exceptional just overall, um skills the guys that kind of have the ceiling hey they could be they're showing it in flashes but maybe not consistently i think the question mark becomes for namala is like what does he do against high end velocity that's always going to be a question right can he handle that um and can he handle it with quality contact right can he is he going to be able to generate enough bat speed is he going to be able to be strong enough to actually pull those pitches or is that going to still overwhelm him even if he can make contact where he's going away all the time? That's going to become an issue. Uh, and then I don't know. This is a literal open sort of high, hypothetical question of um, I don't know on the circuit how much he saw uh, breaking ball and what his breaking ball recognition is. And that's always, for high schoolers especially, that's always going to be something because they're going to see fastballs. Now, elite fastball velo, okay, but, you know, a lot of teams probably can figure we can we can have a pitch machine we can do some some different drills on that but if you can't recognize the slider if you can't lay off a good change or a good curve it really doesn't matter right you're 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 dead in the water um cuz that'll get sniffed out by the time you get to high a right you can probably you can get through rookie ball you can probably get through low a but by the time you get to high a and and guys that are 20 21 and all they got to see is, oh, this guy can't see a, a curveball. And that's just all you're going to get is breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball. Um, and then and then you're done. So I think those are kind of just the general questions that Namala has, just like, you know, most high school hitters, I think, would have. Um, I think your point, uh, Jake, about uh, Namala versus Gonzalez, 
is well founded. And again, like even in my just like very quick and dirty rankings, I have him six slots up um, over Gonzalez. That'll probably shift a little bit um, because I don't have Matt Shaw that uh, as high as you have. And, and that's a good question to see, like, where do I want to actually put Shaw? Um, but I, I think that's fair. I guess for me, I'm trying to think if I'm in a position to draft either one, who would I go with? I think my my head and my heart both align to Gonzalez just because I'm more risk averse. And I'm always like, why don't I take more of the sure thing versus the ceiling? But that also hasn't always worked out in my favor. <laughs> so like maybe I need to stop doing that. <laughs> I think there's something also to be said for like the college guys who you don't have to hang on to them as well long. Mm. So if you have like a shorter number of players that you can uh, roster, you know, in your minors, my, my league has like 20, like I'm not worried about like having to make room for my FYPE guys. But if you got less than that, like having to carry those high school guys means you don't know for a while, whether or not you need to cut mm-hmm. bait. If you're drafting college guys, you know, if, if they fail, they fail quicker and you get to churn a little bit more, you get more uh, bites of the apple. So there is not only like high risk for these high school guys, it just like, so takes so long yeah, for that risk to pan yep, out. The investment. That's a, that's a great point, Alex. Um, I drafted Gavin Cross talking about outfielders and mm-hmm. drafted Gavin Cross. I had the number four pick. I got, I've told the story a bunch of times. I got sniped on, I wanted to take Brooks Lee, got sniped, got, got traded up to number three, took Lee from me. Thought I had him in my in my lap, so I go with my, you know, my fallback pick, which is Gavin Cross. Gavin Cross looked pretty good uh, last year. Felt good about it. High A looked a mess for like from April to most of May, and so I, I dealt him. I dealt him for Christian Mena, right? Prospect for prospect. Mena had just gotten bumped up to Double A. Looked really good, and then there was a week and a half span where Gavin Cross hit a home run almost every game, and Mena was <laughs> getting that. blown up and i was like oh my god i can't believe i just made this trade things have kind of shaped you know shaken out for both of them um cross obviously is not hitting a home run every game anymore uh but i think his swing and miss is showing up a lot more than what i anticipated um uh, which is driving his average down i play in the obp league so batting average not as big a deal but just overall contact he looks a little uh, he looks more raw than what i anticipated main is starting to balance a little bit less of the blowups he still has to get command and control together um so walking a few i bring all this up to say the idea of me being able to in a couple months time trade my number one overall fypd pick a guy that went number four in the draft in our particular draft um and ship him out for a pitching prospect is in part because i feel a lot more comfortable in being like oh this might be who he actually is based on a short amount of time because I already saw from college who he had been. Whereas if it had been a high school player, then it would have been a lot more riskier for me to make that move because, you know, it's nothing for a high school player to have a terrible month and a half. And then all of a sudden just turn it on for the whole rest of the season. And then what? And then, you know, the next season be down again and then turn it on again. Like that back and forth and that, that tennis, that ping pong of, of how, high school prospects um can develop especially when we think about hitters is like you said a much more involved and much more uh long-term investment 
you can probably splash your FYPs with a few of those, but you, I would not, I think all three of us would not advise anybody to have, you know, 10, 15, uh, you know, t- uh, player farm system and have half of those be high schoolers. Like not, 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 you know, coming from a draft or not early on, like if they're high schoolers, they should be developed by now. And, you know, double a type guys, because yeah, you don't know when to cut bait. And then you're just stuck in kind of never, never land. It's like, do I hang on to him? I hung on to him too long. The value plummeted. Now I can't get anything for him. Do I deal him? I dealt him too early. And now he's, you know, rocketing up the, the charts to be like a top 50 type prospect. And I missed out. Um, so yeah, Arjun Namala is just a mystery box. I think of a player. It'll be interesting to 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 see what happens with him. Um, let's go on. Who do we have next here? Well, now we get into some guys that we kind of mentioned before: uh, Noble Meyer, Tommy Troy, Chase Davis. Um, real quick, I'll talk about Davis super quick. Davis going to the Cardinals is like, come on. Like, like me, me and Jake were texting. We we're like, yeah. really? Like, we we bag on the Cardinals, and I know they're having a, they're having a, a really bad year this year. Um, Love to see it. I, I, <laughs> you know, I, I saw. Um, you know, some people are. I saw people are starting to give them a hard time because they had traded Rosarena and Garcia, and they're like, oh, you know, what are they doing? First of all, let, let's take a step back and let's really consider. We all thought that uh, number one, nobody was paying attention to that, at least Garcia as a prospect. So let's first and foremost, let's stop playing that game. Like you guys were on to something. Most of us, 99% of us were not. And even though after he came up and was killing things, everybody said he strikes out way too much and does not make enough contact, nearly enough contact. Alex is raising his hand. <laughs> nearly enough contact for this to sustain. It's a nice story. It's great. But it was, it was, and I remember it was him and it was, um, now I'm blanking on my guy's name. Uh, Jake, help me out. Uh, Mercedes from, uh, he was the catcher for the White Sox. Uh, yeah, you oh, mean, mean. Mercedes, yeah. Yes. It was yeah. those two were like, it's a great story. Hop on them now while they're hot because mm-hmm. this is definitely not going to sustain. You're mean. That definitely was the case. Garcia actually showed that he could make the adjustments. He still strikes out at a high rate, but it's just low enough. And he has just enough hard hit contact that is go- it, it works. It is working so far. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw that coming. A Rosalina, okay, I kind of give you because he even, you know, he got called up with the Cardinals. They probably should have been on that a little bit better. But they gave him up for Libertor. And at the time, that made sense. Libertor looked like he was going to be a, a top-end, you know, front-of-rotation guy. Hasn't hasn't worked out. Them's the breaks. I say all that to say Chase Davis falling to him is, you know, it's more like, Cardinals devil magic or whatever you want to call it. It's just a great fit. Um, I, I just, it's, it's really, it's a really good talent that took a tumble. Um, I, I think Chase Davis is a bit undervalued for him to be going to number 21. And like I said, I got him in my top five right now, personally. So I, I like it a lot. Um, I really liked some of the, uh, this is one of the things that I think the MLB uh, TV broadcast got right. We're going to give them some of the okay. credit uh, um, is that uh, they pointed out that his like a uh, God, maybe, you nope, know, never mind. That was not MLB TV. I had switched to ESPN okay. by that. Nope. That was, taking that away was credit. Daniel. Taking uh, yeah, never mind. Never mind. Uh, but the point made there is, you know, Pac-12, 
you know, like same as the PCL, mm-hmm. same as whatever. It just, you know, like it's funny land. Your home run totals are fake, but his exvilo numbers is like 90th percentile exvilo numbers were absolutely backing up his performance in a way that some other stuff, you know, you maybe wouldn't want to pay attention to as much. Mind you, like, is the pitching quality the same right. as, for example, the SEC? Right. Not quite, but still, it's there is something there. I feel like that uh, I, makes someone like me who cannot tell you the difference between the worst and the best swing out there um, perk up and at least want to pay attention. I cannot wait for him to get traded away from the Cardinals in a couple of years and become a perennial all star. It's going to be great for us all. Um, but you know, he really is a f- really fun player to watch just for the see how all of that pans out. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I was just thinking here, uh, I wanted to do a search and now it's failing me on how, what exactly I wanted to, to pull up, but, um, with, uh, with Davis anyway, you were mentioning, uh, pac 12, the pitch quality or pitching quality. Like, yeah, that's, uh, that's always something to keep in mind. I remember now what I wanted to search was the one, the one name, and this is a bit of a lazy, you know, comparison thing was, um, I was thinking about Dylan Carlson and like how that's one that they, you know, player profile that they really haven't been able to figure out how to maximize now some differences there mm-hmm. um with carlson obviously being switch hitter versus just being lefty uh and i don't think that carlson has ever put up the um evs that uh chase davis has been putting up so that's also a, a big difference um but just generally thinking about like again another athletic outfielder um that was you know heralded they were waiting for carlson you know, well before anybody knew who Jordan Walker was, it was really Carlson was supposed to be part of that next wave to keep the Cardinals going um, as a franchise. And okay, player, uh, I'm looking at his stats now. He's drafted uh, 33rd pick overall by St. Louis in 2016. Um, you know, he's been an okay player, but if you look at his numbers, and I'm pulling them up here um, on Fangrass, I'm curious to see his minor league numbers specifically. Uh, but at the major league level, he's just, he's never really lit things on fire. He had the one, you know, 2021 had the one double digit homer year. Hasn't come close since, right? Eight home runs last year. I guess technically that's close to double digits. Um, but you know, it's just, that's putting cares in a way we shouldn't really care right, about, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, so that's the one where I'm like, Ooh, you know, could that, you know, could that happen now? Uh, again, Carson, it's prep baller. Uh, again, uh, Davis coming out of college. So there are differences that are uh, key differentiators, but, you know, um, just things that come to mind. So let's move this along because I know uh, I, I think Jake's looking at the clock because uh, he doesn't want to edit a three hour long podcast. And I don't bring him. I, I don't want that for him either. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a break. Let's come back. We're going to go through Biggest Reach, uh, Most Surprising Fall, and a couple of other sort of categories that we've come up with before we finish up our uh, broadcast today. So after this. All right, and we are back. Um, So I've been doing a lot of talking. Jake, I'm going to turn things over to you to be an MC to take us through some categories here. So let's just do some of the categories that we have pulled up here. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so first off, we'll do biggest reach uh, teams who who shot someone up. You know the the widely established draft boards and and surprised people. Um, you know, I think the the first one would have been Max Clark. You know, to the Tigers, um, but that wasn't super super big because like you know it's the cheaper move it's only one spot or maybe two spots up than the normal but um, i think the first kind of big one we had was blake mitchell the catcher from Sitton high school going eighth overall to the royals um where i was seeing him on some kind of like pre-draft rankings was more in like the maybe mid 20s um maybe like you know kind of latter part of the first round but no he went he went eighth um and i wasn't really a, aware of Mitchell I, I think you know going into the draft and he's a high school catcher and uh man I wish I would I'll pull it up in a second here so I could read uh the intro that that someone did for him that I read I'm gonna try to find it but anyway um high school catchers aren't a great investment um especially for fantasy baseball players um but it's just it doesn't have a, a long track record of working out. It has a track record of doing the opposite. So it's an interesting pick. Um, it's the Royals who don't have a great player development system or a great ballpark. So um, that was definitely surprising. I don't know if either of you have anything redeemable to say about, you know, that pick or his value from a fantasy standpoint. But I think for me, it's a pretty easy avoid um, for, for fantasy purposes. I feel like the I'm going to give it to the best spin just because someone has to yeah. version of this is probably he's a good enough athlete to not be a catcher and still like be a major league baseball player. Now I do not go to games in Sinton, Texas. Um, but you know, from all accounts, like he, he's just been extremely, extremely productive and Texas high school baseball isn't nothing. So one can hope that there's something there, but I, one way or another from like a fantasy perspective that's definitely a you can afford to be wrong on this compared to other things now if he slips and he's going in the 20s or 30s in leagues where you have a lot of spots right and you roster two catchers sure there is someone who is going to be very excited to pick him up in a draft yeah, yeah. Uh, i think um just real quick on blake mitchell i text uh jake like not even he, he wasn't even the best catcher uh, in the, in the draft, so super surprising that he went uh, <laughs> as high as he did over Teal. Um, but right. based on that athleticism, based on going to the Royals, again maybe I'm galaxy braining, but looking at what they did with MJ Melendez, you know, starting him out at catcher and then using his athleticism uh, to start kind of moving him around to some other positions, maybe they have something somewhere in mind for Mitchell. Thinking about what your point was, Alex, about paying attention to multiple catchers and maybe going with the two catcher format. For me, in an in FYPD or thinking about from a fantasy perspective, he is a name that I am not taking that high as in real life, but is a name that I would want to see maybe in a second round of FYPD, maybe in a third round of a, of a FYPD, um, that I would maybe, you know, play, again, depending on my team uh, roster, I might play around with, with picking him up in that uh, in that context. Yeah, um, and real quick, the the blurb that I wanted to read for y'all because it was is one of the most incredible ones I have read about a player in general uh, by R.J. Anderson of CBSSports.com. He wrote this to introduce Blake Mitchell. 
It's been more than 20 years since a prep catcher selected in the first round stuck back there and produced 10 or more wins above replacement. That poor track record is acknowledged across the industry, but be it because of the gambler's fallacy or ice-cold American hubris, teams still chase the ghost of Joe Maurer each summer. Incredible. <laughs> That's poetry right there. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> ten, ten, 10 out of 10, no notes. Um, so yeah, with that, uh, we will close the book on Mitchell for this because I can't say it any better. Uh, the other guy that I was looking at is Nolan uh, Shanuel. Shanwell. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, that's how they said it, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, didn't have the audio on for all these guys. So there's definitely some guesses here, but uh, we'll obviously get better there. But, uh, you know, he's an interesting one because I think he kind of shot up very quickly kind of towards as we got closer to the draft. And he was he's kind of like reminded, I think, a lot of people initially of Lock Lear from last year, you know, a non-Power 5 conference mm-hmm. dude who just like hit and doesn't have necessarily the you know, the pedigree, maybe the speed or the um, maybe the, the kind of perceived hit tool is, is some of the power five college hitters, um, but still has like impacts the ball really well. Good plate approach, things like that. Right. Um, but he got a lot more hype because his results were just a lot, a lot better. Um, he walked more than he struck out, like a lot more than he struck out. And he I think he had more homers and strikeouts even, um, which is insane. And you know, it's it's interesting. I think the one thing I'll say about him is he kind of reminds the profile kind of reminds me of what we've seen recently with with hype around guys like Kyle Manzardo and um, Vinny Pasquantino, mm. first baseman with fantastic plate discipline who have good power, but not elite power. Nathan Martorella is the next one. Yes, yep. exactly. Um, and, and these guys can get a ton of hype because they're going to put up a gaudy WRC plus in the minors um, and. I think if you know you could be in a position where you might want a little bit more power out of your first baseman, uh, a little bit more like run production, maybe. You know, he has a great eye, but he I think he has a little less power than even either of those two first basemen that I mentioned or Martorella. Um, and I think that that's kind of where if he can develop there a little bit more and impact the ball a little better, um, then I think that that's going to control a lot of his ceiling. Um, but until I see it, I will kind of be a little cautious. But like with Lamar, the point you made earlier, if you want to try to get somebody who's going to get a lot of hype at some point and then sell them for someone better, um, I think that he's a good he's a, he's a good bet for someone you can get in like the second round mm-hmm. of an FYPD mm-hmm. um, because he could have that like this gaudy season, maybe his uh, first half in, yeah. in double A or something like that, where he has like a 150 WRC yeah. plus and a, a lot of people yeah. get excited, especially, even though the, the power isn't quite there. Yeah. Especially as we start to see those data points, like what is, what is the EV looks like, mm-hmm. um, you know, ninth percentile EV, max EV, etc. I think, yeah, I think he fits into a lineage. I, I just based on the cursory look that I've done, um, I would slot him above Martorella and Manzardo power wise, but I would slot him below Pasquantino. Um, yeah. I think he has a bit more pop than what Manzardo, at least what, what Manzardo and Martorella had shown this time in their career. Right. So like as a draftee and then coming in as a pro, um, I would slot, I would slot him a little bit higher, but uh, yeah, I think the Locklear thing is interesting because with, with Locklear, he was a third baseman, quote unquote. Uh, it came pretty <laughs> obvious that he was going to need to be a first baseman at uh, yep. any sort of major league level. Uh, Shanuel, there's like no sort of 
you know, uh, guesswork around that. Kind of similar, again, to a Manzardo and a Pasquantino and Martorella. They're, like, definitely going to be first baseman. That's it. Uh, but I, I think there is something to a guy being able to to be hit over power at first base that is becoming attractive to fantasy players, where in the past we've been um, a lot more attracted to the the thumpers at first base. And yep. it's okay if they're, you know, going to be a 240 hitter if you're in a batting average league or a 310, 320 type of OBP guy. Um, maybe a little bit higher if they're like three true outcomes. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking for the 30 home runs coming at, you know, coming from first base. And I think now we're starting to get a wave, a small wave of guys that might be 330 and, and higher, uh, you know, 260, 270 and higher as far as um, batting average. But you're going to give up, you know, they're going to max out at 22, 24 home runs instead of getting into that 30 home run plus plateau. So it'll be interesting to see him going at 11 was like some true angels. Ridiculous. Oh, (laughs) regardless, uh, maybe we'll look back and and it looks like a genius move. But I, I think they're way overvalued, whatever he's bringing to the table. Um. Let's let's jump into um, surprising fall just because we we talked two names Langford and Teal we've talked them up enough Colin Hoke and and I forgot to mention Hoke in comparison to Namala when we think about high school shortstops so Hoke uh, falls to thirty uh, second overall to the Mets and this kid is tooled up. So yeah. that's somebody that maybe you're a little bit more attracted to again than Namala who's a little bit younger. Um, Hoke, I think, uh, is 19. I think they were saying he's a little bit older. Um, I'm, I might have that uh, incorrect. But just uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to you guys to talk a little bit more about Colin Hoke. He's somebody that fascinates me. You're right on the age. Yeah, he's slightly older. He's... Uh what uh, that is late september 04 so he'll turn, he'll turn uh, 19 he'll, he'll turn 19 in a couple of months uh whereas namala will turn 18 in a couple of months so there's that extra year in there i i'm really curious to like the degree to which like just normal people are going to be like oh yeah he's not actually the 32nd best pick you know mm-hmm. that was just the mets being the mets here um because i mean the, the writing is all over the wall that 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 is some steve cohen uh i need to make a statement stuff that probably was at play there to a degree um so i i don't know that i have much more to say than he is going to be an interesting does he go up the board in terms of like whatever ADP is for these sorts of drafts because he's a Mets guy and he's going to have name ID in the same way that like, you know, the Yankees guys probably always go like one or two slots higher than they should. Or, you know, is he going to slide because his ADP was lower? I'm just curious to see how that pans out more than I am like actively adding to that conversation. I think he's just kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's, um, you know, he could be a good bet for, playing time maybe like a mason win type where he's, he's great defensively has a fantastic arm good hit tool and we hope that he develops some power you know yeah. i think he could kind of get to that point um in the next uh you know couple of years and you know like like alex was saying it's the mets and so there's definitely going to be some attention there to him so it'll be interesting to see where he actually goes in fypds because you know in pre-draft rankings i saw him as high as um i think like 17th or 18th um and he went 
uh, what, like 30, 32nd. So, um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. Absolutely. But he was kind of definitely the one, um, the one high school guy that kind of fell back a little bit. Um, so yeah. And I think with that, we can move on to the next category we have, um, you know, guys that we're playing close attention to, I kind of, you know, you know, guys have circle names on, you know, to kind of keep going back to and, and seeing what happens more. I thought of this as more guys in the kind of like maybe mid to late first round that were, um, that could be a little kind of undervalued, lesser known that had, that went to good spots. And so the two names that I have here are Braden Taylor, third baseman from TCU who went 19th overall to the Rays and Aiden Miller, the third baseman, uh, from, uh, Mitchell high school who went 27th overall to the Phillies. Uh, Braden Taylor specifically, I think he's a like fantastic fit for the Rays. Um, I think that he, you know, it's like, you know, position to be determined, but we know that he could barrel the ball and they're going to teach him to lift it. They're going to find out what works best for his swing. And um, I think that he's going to be able to get to his power pretty well, um, you know, with the Rays development. Um, And then Aiden Miller, I think is, um, you know, good for the Phillies. I think he reminds me a bit of Alec Bohm. And the Phillies have had a fantastic track record with first round picks over the last few years. Um, I've noticed that they um, ESPN put up a, a, a graphic last last night with the with all their first round picks for the last five or six years, and there are no misses. I, I don't believe so. Scott, I think even just that uh, Scott Kingery. I don't believe he was first rounder. He uh, might have been a little farther back. Okay. Yeah, he didn't make the graphic one way or another. Yeah, right. You know, they had Stott, right. they had Abel, yep. they had Bohm. Right. Um, and then I don't remember who like the last couple of years are that don't fill in, but like they aren't obvious busts yet. Yeah. So <laughs> you can put five names up and look good. There you go. Yeah. Um, and so it's, yeah, I, I like, and I, and I like, I like Aiden Miller and, and Braden Taylor both as, as guys that, you know, won't be, I, I don't think like, you know, super highly coveted, but um, have parts of their profile that could, that could be interesting um, to take flyers on. Yeah. Um, if you guys have thoughts about either of those. Well, I got I got a name to to chip in here, and yeah. Jake, you know you you should know who who this is. You you should be able to guess. I should be able to guess. You should because oh, yeah. I've been talking about him nonstop since since last night's draft. Um, was it Noble Meyer? Not Noble. I even though I am a fan of Noble, but but there's one. It's a pitcher. It's a righty. He's from. He's out of. Oh, oh, obviously. Um. Yes, the guy from the Brewers who was drafted like thirty sixth. Yes. Josh Knopf. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I've. You're not supposed to do this. This is not good process. I've seen a handful of videos of this guy, and the curveball just has me. I'm, I'm, I'm in love. Because I was hearing three thousand RPM listen, on one of those. Listen, mm-hmm. consistently, I'm Sounds looking fake. at the write up right now. <laughs> Routinely tops 3,100 RPM. Um, there is video out there. I was telling Jake, I've never seen a catcher get his ankles broken on a curveball that stayed in the strike zone. We're not talking about a curveball where it's like and it bounced, you know, four feet in, in front of the plate or it was yanked way outside to the other batter's box. It was a strike and the catcher was befuddled. That's the only word I can use. And it's I've seen multiple video of it happening, and for you to be able to spin that type of curve, if you can develop a fat, if you can keep your fastball velocity and know where to place it, if you can keep your command, even if the fastball isn't great by shape, if you can keep your command there, 
and you can come up with one more pitch. I know I'm reading the report right now that says, you know, he kind of plays with the changeup. Like most high schoolers, it's really nothing to, you know, be wild at. But if the Brews can tease out one more pitch here, changeup, cutter, something of that nature, and he can spin that uh, curveball that way, I'm I'm here for it. I'm all in riding to <laughs> wheels fall off sort of thing because I just I've never seen stuff like that before. And when I see things that make me stand up, I'm like, I I I want in on that kid if I if I can. So Josh North is, is my pick. Um went to the Brewers out of high school. Uh was their uh compensation pick. Uh number thirty three. Pick number thirty three in the draft. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um yeah, he was interesting. I think there's a little group of pitchers there that are um they're very interesting to me. Um, Josh Noth, Charlie Soto for the Twins, who went right after him, and then right after him was Thomas White for the Marlins. All mm-hmm. three very good organizations for pitching development, mm-hmm. and three guys who have interesting, you know, interesting profiles. Charlie Soto has a great fastball. Um, Thomas White has a great fastball, but from the left side. Uh, so I think that there's a little kind of maybe pocket of value there of pitchers that could uh, that could take steps forward pretty soon. I like those guys. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder to what degree those high school pitchers are going to kind of get pushed up in FYPDs beyond where they should probably be going because people just feel like they need to be taking more pitching, which is always a trap, like, obviously. But, you know, this this class has just so many ready, like, ready-to-go college hitters that are pushing everyone else down because of COVID. You know, this guy's mm-hmm. been back to school, so... Um, I feel like that's kind of been unspoken throughout all this. We've been raving about college hitter after college hitter and after college hitter. And I've got two that I really am excited about who are like in the mid first, who I feel like could be first round FYPD guys, depending on how their fall goes. Um, But I mean, I remember watching this broadcast. It was like, Charlie Soto is my new favorite player in baseball. I want this man to succeed at all costs. I love him. I love his turtleneck. And that's really all you need to know, I suppose. But um, that's not the guy I wanted to point to. Um, so the very first like thing that I feel like um, happened in the draft where I was like, oh yeah, I know I'm really getting like dumb draft brain going on. Um, is the Orioles didn't even have their pick in and I was already excited just because this was like, oh yeah, they're going to nail this. Because you guys know the, the Rays joke. It's like, oh, great trade for the Rays. Who'd they get? Who'd they give up? I felt that way about a lot of like the Orioles prosp- or, like draft hype recently. Uh, Enrique Bradfield Jr. feels like an absolute like perfect they're going to make him into an absolute weapon pick um i've heard him described as the fastest player in college baseball by a a couple different folks um he's supposed to have a great approach and not hit one home run in his entire first year of uh professional baseball um sort of power so if if one team can get that guy to be a consistent like impacts the ball enough that it can you know leave the yard sometimes I, I feel like there's a pretty good chance that he plays everyday center field uh really well and steals it just a, an, un, an unserious number of bases yeah. so i'm really excited about that from like the, the speed side um from the power side uh brock wilkin uh i heard described as like again like maybe like one of the biggest power hitters uh the Park in Milwaukee is pretty friendly for all of that. Uh, Wake Forest is obviously a real team who like 
have really, really had some success past couple of years. I put some stock into guys coming from those sorts of programs as like kind of being ready to run through systems quickly. And if you've already demonstrated, you can hit the ball really, really far. I imagine that's also a reason to go through a system quickly. So both of those guys, they went 17th and 18th to the uh, Orioles. And then the Brewers back-to-back are picks that I feel like really fit some things well um, in terms of like ballparks, in terms of like teams that can match them. When I was saying earlier, I felt like a lot of teams picked up players that I felt matched them well. There weren't a ton of mismatches other than Chase Dolander. Whoops. Um, so, like, yeah, I feel like it was really easy to dream on a lot of these guys. And those are two guys I'm dreaming yeah. on. Um, I mentioned to Jake, uh, everybody's throwing out, again, lazy comps. Everybody's throwing out, like, Kenny Lofton with Bradfield. And I was like, Cedric Mullins is literally right there. Like, it's literally, yeah. <laughs> you just take Cedric <laughs> Mullins and you clone him and you get Enrique Bla- uh, Bradfield Jr. Uh, so, as an Orioles fan, um, I wanted Chase Davis because, again, two is the outfielders. But two is in a different type of way. I, I definitely am not mad at taking Bradfield. Um and then your point about Wilkin, I will say I'm a little bit more down on Wilkin uh, just because I don't know if he's going to be more. We talked about Gavin Cross and kind of the swing and miss that I, I may have um, undersold Gavin Ross on and, and has shown up now. Or could he be a, a Yvonne Melendez, uh, Ivan, I don't know how to say Yvonne, um, Ivan Melendez, where actually um, we think he's all power and he actually does show that he's been able to to show like really good plate discipline he actually just got promoted to uh double a today so you know wilkin to me is kind of could be one or the other and so just for that reason i'm i'm a little bit further down on him but it will be interesting to see uh power wise um hate to see it is another category that we have we, we kind of touched on um max clark we, we've kind of talked up why that just pride doesn't seem like it's going to work <laughs> in in his favor at least not to start um, you mentioned Chase Dollinger. Uh, I just don't know. Rockies, just what are we doing? Just like take another guy. I saw this in the picture list. Uh, somebody said this, so I'm stealing it. But, you know, you take another guy that pitches high fastballs and you put him in cores and it's just like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, what do you think is going to what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. How many times? How many times do you have to go through this? So, yeah, uh, that's tough. That's a tough beat for Dollander and, and anybody who was anticipating picking him up um, after a down year for Dollander, really. That yeah. It's kind of overall. Uh, some might say he did it to himself. He heard his own draft stock, and now your penalty is you get drafted by the Rockies. Um, yeah. Late- I think for him, uh, I'm looking at where he could go in FYPDs or, like, where I might take him. I, I think he could still be good for strikeouts. Um it's just you have to find yourself in a league where it makes sense. Like if you have if in a league with very deep rosters, uh, even if it's a 12-team league or a 15-league, if you have super deep rosters, like 40, 50, 60 guys on rosters, it, it could make sense to keep him. And if you have daily moves or something uh, where you can be flexible, it could make sense to keep him on your bench and just kind of play a streaming game with him. Mm-hmm. And now where that would actually be valuable to take him in an FYP, I think like the end of the second round, if you can wait that long, right? I don't think you want to spend like first round draft capital capital on him, even if you're in that situation with flexibility. Um, but I still think he could be good for strikeouts and road starts, and he could figure out something to be successful in Clovers. We've seen John Gray kind of do it. Jermon Marquez had times where he did it. So I don't think he's a complete avoid, but I would like a significant discount on him. Um, if it's 
maybe second half of the second round at least is yeah. where I'd be looking at for him. I just think about uh, Gabriel Hughes and he got drafted mm-hmm. in our FYPD and then like got dropped and I don't think anybody's picked him up since. And it's just like yeah. he's a no a high draft pick in real life, pretty highly rated um, fantasy prospect. And he's just sitting on the wire because nobody wants to touch him with a 10-foot bowl. And then you look at the results that he's been putting up, and it's like, well, that's why. Like, Because, again, he's the, the Rockies not only are you thinking about the end game, which is in cores, but yeah. they're outside of um, their double-A team, their uh, um, environments for their minor league teams are not necessarily the best for – or actually, I'm, I'm thinking of their triple-A team. I'm sorry. But, like, their minor league environments aren't necessarily pitching – uh, friendly all the way either so it's literally a tough road to hoe when you're a Rockies pitching prospect all the way up to getting to have to pitch in cores for half your season he's also just such a of all the guys like the pre-draft read on him was fastball shape needs to be tinkered with he needs to work with like an actual pitching coach. If he goes to the, and you you start rolling through the names, if he lands with the Marlins, they'll fix him. He'll be great. Now, obviously um, they have Noble Meyer instead. And I'm sure Noble Meyer will benefit greatly from that coaching. If, if Dolan had gone to the Reds at the seventh pick, I don't think that he should have. I would trust the Reds, even though they've got a silly park, they've got a, a staff that I believe in. So I feel like if you're like thinking, downgrades in stock based off of landing spots you know there's there's so many different variables about why something can or can't work out and that just feels like a mismatch both in terms of like all pitchers face a unique terror by being in colorado but god i mean unless the rockies just get completely torn down like and i don't know why they ever would like i feel like we're gonna have an ongoing problem here just because like the park is only half the battle the other is you know the organization itself and yep the good news is i hear it's really fun to go to games so maybe he'll have a really nice time hanging out in the bullpen when yeah. he makes the major league game yeah yeah i'm actually i'm actually going to coors this weekend for the first time uh friends getting married in denver nice. so have to go to coors as, as well so um i will check back on that if it is indeed fun um but yeah it's it should be awesome it's you know like i love to see homers you know uh but man pitching it's just it's brutal to try to play that game um but yeah and then we have one last category for you guys um some late round fypd players to watch not necessarily a late round mlb draft because that is an insane pool of players that we cannot wrap our heads around fully right now um but guys that you know might be taken in the third, fourth, fifth rounds of your FYPDs, just initially that we've seen some things on, you know, they maybe have some, some tool that's interesting, some aspect, maybe it's the team that grabbed them. Um, there's two guys that stood out to me. And then I don't know if uh, Lamar or Alex, you have anyone as well. But uh, the first one for me is Cade uh, Kuehler from uh, Campbell University is a right-handed pitcher. Uh, he went 70th overall to the Braves. I think the Braves are a solid landing spot. Um, they've done well. Um, in, in pitching development. Um, they have a good quantity of guys up right now with a, a lot of them are still kind of figuring things out, but they've kind of put people through. And I think that they're uh, kind of in the top half of the league as far as pitching development goes. Um, and then with, with cooler, his fastball is ridiculous. It has fantastic spin and carry, um, MLB.com did a great little breakdown on him um, and how great his fastball is. 
Um, it sits right now, 93 to 95, and it can hit 97. Um, and I think that that can get better. Um, and then he already has a slider that's sitting in the mid 80s, which is fantastic. And he could also kind of make it into a cutter variation, that slider. Um, and then Kurt has a curveball and some version of a changer splitter. And so it's it, there's a lot of different possibilities with that arsenal. It can go a lot of different ways. But what I'm really hanging my hat on is that fastball and building off of that and making a, a delivery that's a bit more repeatable uh, for command. And so I think that um, it's a pretty solid flyer to keep an eye on uh, for the profile there. Um, I have two. I watched a little bit of college baseball and these guys were fun. So I hope they have a good pro career guys. I want to check in on mm-hmm. uh, the race picked up Trey Morgan in the third round. He was a, uh, profiles as a gold glove first baseman if you want to be really kind sort of guy you know like if the first thing you're complimenting a first base prospect on is his defense something is a little bit up but he made some incredible plays uh defensively during the college world series and you know i it's the rays right so you have to assume that if they they think there is something else there so i'm curious to see how that all pans out for him anything else like He's a really fun player. I, I hope that we get to see some more fun highlights in the minors. Um, and then Dylan Campbell is an outfielder from Texas. I went to Texas. So the only non-college World Series college baseball games I ever watched were Texas games, including the very, very stupid uh, regional game or super regional game they lost against Stanford. Uh, beautifully stupid game that was. Um, Dylan Campbell was putting up some really absurd numbers for a guy who um, can also play the outfield extremely well. I, I do think that, you know, again, just betting on competent organizations to take players that you like is like not necessarily an FYPD thing, but he's a guy that like, you know, I would love for him to become fantasy relevant in the long term. Um, and, you know, we can hope. So those are just some guys that I will be checking back in on yeah. because they were successful college players i think we'll know faster so for these late round flyers unless you've got like one really spectacular tool like you're bringing up some of those pitchers i I think the best bet is that just some of these guys who might get moved through quickly will have some good data on and that's really all you can hope for yeah yeah and uh one more player that lamar and i had both kind of seen some some footage on and liked was uh nazan zanatello uh shortstop from the christian brothers college high school uh, went 50th overall to the Red Sox. Um, looks like an incredible athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just really can, you know, hit in all parts of the zone. Has a really sweet swing. Um, not necessarily like a power stroke, but I mean, it just looks smooth. Um, really great, really great mechanics. I mean, you just you could tell the kid's dripping with athleticism. Uh, I think he'll be able to make adjustments. And if you're looking, I, I think you're, for me, I'm looking at him as somebody who could um, just develop more strength um and then kind of go from there but he already has the basis of just being a fantastic athlete uh with a very good repeatable smooth swing uh from the right side yeah i have i have two real quick both pitchers um one hurston waldrop going to uh atlanta like again another one where it's just like come on It's, it's, it's too easy it's too easy um and i think waldrop uh is getting overlooked um, so I think that that could be like really good value in an FYPD where you might be able to get them at, if you're drafting at the back end of the first round and you want to get spicy with taking a pitcher, definitely in a second round, somebody that would absolutely target. Um, and then the second pitcher, uh, to your Cincinnati Reds, Ty Floyd coming out of LSU did, did get injured. Um, 
um, and is out with Tommy John. But the way things are going now with pitching development, it's kind of like at least he got it out the way early. Like it's done. Now. Yeah. And if he can yeah. come back healthy and, and rehab healthily, now it's kind of like, okay, we don't even have to worry about it because we we checked that box in the pitching development sort of checklist of got Tommy John. Okay, moving on. Um, but I like um, what obviously his coaches is, is talking him up, but what uh, Coach Johnson was, was saying about his arsenal um, and competitiveness, I think is pretty significant. And um, going to Cincinnati, which, you know, is, is turning some things around when it comes to understanding how to develop guys pitching, even within the confines of that ballpark. Um, you know, we're still green. Green has had some ups and downs, obviously waiting to see how Lodolo bounces, uh, bounces back. But they have Andrew Abbott as being a, a very big win for them from a pitching standpoint. Um, we're still waiting to see how Connor Phillips turns out in the minors. So they have some guys there. I like Ty Floyd. He'll be another like late second round, third round type of guy that I think is is really good value there. And then you just you just sit, wait. You're waiting for him in 2024 to really come back healthy and um and and hopefully get a good assignment and kind of quickly go through the system there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's some names for you guys to kind of keep keep an eye on if you're in deeper leagues with you know more players going in FYPDs. Uh, kind of check in on here and there, some guys in college, um, some toolsy guys. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the categories that we had for the draft. Uh, this is obviously a super long episode, chock full of content. The draft is always the the thing that that happens uh, for, for for dynasty. That's in season. That's it's the biggest. Bowl. You know, it's our Super Bowl. It's, it's our Super Bowl, absolutely. And yeah. you know, had a blast messaging Lamar during it um, and, and reacting to everything. Under one under. Uh, underappreciated moment was when Rob Manfred had to essentially scream into the microphone for the Astros first round pick uh, because the Mariners fans were booing so loud. I have one of the I, best moments I've seen at a draft. I have an even better, memory. even better moment than that. And I'm glad somebody really? shouted it. Uh, I, I, I forget who put this out on Twitter, but I saw it and I was like, did anybody else catch this? Which is a live look they were doing in everybody's draft room. They did a live look in the Colorado Rockies draft room. There were about three yep. people in there. They were all old yep. men. And that was it. And it wasn't like there were other desks that people's stuff was at and they just happened to th- it was literally just three men in this conference room. And they, as this tweet says, all look to be at least 60 years old. And I was just like, that's the Rockies. That sums up Rockies scouting and player development and just one, one video clip right there. Um, uh, Jake, I know you're doing the the picture stash, uh, yep. uh, pictures two stash, excuse me, articles. I mentioned that I have the prospect watch list, um, all stars column that will be out by the time you guys are reading or listening to this, uh, so you'll be able to read that as well. Um, just kind of highlighting under the radar prospects um, from the first half in a in a nice all star type format. Uh, Alex, I know you are writer emeritus, but do you have anything that you want to promote? Any any guest appearances any articles anything of any sort um if you uh are running a large law firm's uh 2l summer associate hiring program uh, hit me up um <laughs> kidding um am i yeah I'm, I'm mostly kidding about that no I, I really don't have anything i'm a little bit busy with work yeah. um but i would love that to change at some point you know, always possible that some project catches my eye i'm able to put like 25 to 30 hours into it because that's like Everything I do takes at least that much time, yep. and that's been the problem. Yep. Um, but if I can fix that at some point this summer, I have some ideas I've been kicking around that I would love to get out in some capacity. Perfect. Any though. social accounts, Twitter, maybe Threads, if any, if Ooh. anyone started that. Blue yet. Sky, Blue Sky, yeah. Truth Social, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I bet there's a, a real burgeoning um, baseball prospects uh, community on on Truth Social uh, that I probably need to get into, of, of course. Um, actually, I'm like private on Twitter for, you know, hiring reasons. Um, but I, I do have a Threads account that I posted three okay. whatever's on okay. that is now public. So All right. There you go. You can find <laughs> yes, you can find me at Chase underscore rate. There you go. Um, as always, want to let uh, remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our Pitcherless pods on the Pitcherless Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Pitcherless Free to Find, Listen, and Subscribe. You can find us, uh, me, only on Twitter. I'm not on anything else. Uh, at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. And you can find me on Twitter at Jake Mash M-A-I-S-H. You can, of course, follow the podcast itself on Twitter at pl on the farm capital p capital l and with that i hope you all enjoyed the draft enjoy the all-star break and enjoy the rest of your day